Sophia. This podcast is dedicated to exploring the relationship between our hair, our health, and our heritage. For my third season, I'm sitting on the couch with influential psychologists. I'd love to invite you to listen in as we explore the significance of mental health, the important relationship between psychologists and our communities, why culturally informed wellness is important to us, and even some common myths about our work. In this episode, we will discuss hair, psychology, and social media. And I'll be having a conversation with Dr. Nina Ellis Hervey, also known as Beautiful Brown Baby Doll, to her millions of viewers on social media. So I'm going to read her bio. I'm sure you're going to be impressed. So Dr. Nina Ellis Hervey is an award-winning, tenured, yes, tenured, and associate professor in the School Psychology Doctoral Program at Stephen F. Austin State University. She is a licensed psychologist for clinical and school, nationally certified school psychologist, a licensed specialist in school psychology in both Texas and Louisiana, and a certified professional life coach. She checks off all of it. She's also the director of the School Psychology Assessment Center on campus. She is soon to be a certified personal trainer in 2019. Dr. Nina's YouTube channel, Beautiful Brown Baby Doll, and Beautiful Brown Baby Doll TV chronicle her more than 100 pound weight loss. She's maintained for over 14 years, educational triumphs, healthy psychological tips and beauty tutorials with over 800,000 subscribers on YouTube, millions of video views nationally and internationally, and over 1 million following across networks. Dr. Nina is making her mark on the world. She's also been featured and recognized by Rolling Out Magazine, People, Essence, and Ebony, BuzzFeed and TV shows, HLN News Live, The Jeff Popes Show, Inside Edition, Extra, The Grio, Refinery29, Deluxe Magazine, and so much more. She's also partnered with power brands such as Black Enterprise, Pick Monkey, Avino, and many more. Dr. Nina is the creator of the eight-day Supernatural video course, and the Now That's Life with Dr. Nina podcast has even given a TED Talk on the infused principles at the Illinois Institute of Technology. She's also spoken at many universities, including Howard University, HU, that's where I went, Colgate University, okay. <laughs> Albany State, Texas State University, Illinois State University, and more. Her academic works have been and are being published in the journal Learning, Media, and Technology, Journal of Human Services, Educational Review, the McNair Scholarly Review, Psychology Discourse, Journal of Black Studies, Journal of Multicultural Affairs, and Girls Like Us, Risk, Resilience, and Healthy Development of Diverse Girls. She believes in supporting others and reaching their goals and seeing their lives as valuable in spite of any adversity they may face. She lives her life as the ultimate example of that. Whoo! Wow. That was like such a mouthful. I'm so impressed. I'm like, I just read your whole CV and all these different things. But this, you've had so many career accomplishments, and I'm glad that you've documented them in this way. But I'm also mindful that there are huge chunks of your professional story that's been left out. So 
when and how did you decide that you would enter the field of psychology? A wonderful question. So first off, thank you so much for having me on. I would love to say that first. I'm very excited to be here and excited about the work that you're doing. Thank you. And so that leads me into um, stating my, my purpose. I would say um, what led me was I knew that I wanted to do something that would be lasting, that would also help people. Mm-hmm. Um I've always been kind of like that person. And I don't want to say like that friend who just knows everything. No, (laughs) but I've always been the one who's been transparent. Right. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think people would always come to me because they knew they would get the truth. They knew that I would be um, very honest and I would try to do it with care. Mm -hmm. Um, And so from that sprouted an interest in helping others. And that started off with uh, a faculty member at Truman State University, which is where I went in Northeast Missouri. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found a great mentor who owned a clinical child psychology practice as well as uh, taught on campus. And I just love the way he lived his life, right? So he just seemed to have a really peaceful life and he was doing very well monetarily um, <laughs> and then also enjoyed what he was doing and you very seldom see that even if you see people that make a lot of money or you know don't and there is often a complaint behind their work or that they don't feel fulfilled in their work and I just noticed even in taking some of his classes my first class with him was behavior modification mm-hmm. and he just seemed to be so at rest and at peace that he enjoyed it and you could tell that he loved that seventh. 30 a.m. class like I 730 yes we had a 730 class do you hear me and I just noticed how excited this man was and how excited I was to be there you know it was just exciting to learn from him and from him I just started to ask questions and that led him to you know bring me literature on things that he thought I would be you know interested in and and love Um, and I had other additional faculty that did some of the same things things and that took me to becoming a McNair scholar and then mm. I went into uh, my graduate program. Mm. Okay, so so you you really had a good example or mentor like we say in Association of Black Psychologists a good Jegna. So someone who yes. went through the battle who can come back and tell you about the war. And even it sounds like just be a good example and model of what it means to be balanced. Because I'm hearing that to be happy at 7.30 a.m. is oh, yes. <laughs> a skill a set that I'm Three still working on. <laughs> Three times. Oh, gosh. So it wasn't just Tuesday, Thursday. It was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Oh, my goodness. Yes. Yeah. So so I'm seeing that that, that modeling was critical. Um, but I'm yeah, interested, too, in terms of some of the behind the scenes look into your journey. So getting into graduate school, um, I know is a struggle in and of itself. But I'm curious and just wondering about that process of motivation, like what kept you going? I see, you know, something within me is really interesting. (laughs) I am persevering by nature, I think. Hmm. But also, I also seek to finish what I start. And I think it's important to show people that, you know, it's, it's, it's great to be excited about something. But how do you maintain that? And like you said, uh, just keeping your your morale up and keeping yourself um, excited. And so what I did was kind of um, purposeful in moving farther away from home. 
Mm -hmm. uh, challenging myself to growing and developing and, and building a community where I was, even though I knew no one <laughs> when I went to graduate school at Oklahoma State University. Um, you know, I'm a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha Sorority Incorporated, and I was able to start to meet others uh, through the organization. Um, but I was also able to step out and meet people that I wouldn't have necessarily come across before. Um, I challenged myself to go to networking events, to mm. uh, meet other people and ask questions about what they were doing, not only in the field, but outside of the field. Um, and, and that kept me motivated. And then I also uh, developed a joy for uh, working really hard. I, they used to call me one of the hardest working people because I also <laughs> worked with the student athletes. Mm. Um, and that was exciting. That was fun because yeah. I'm not a pushover. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri, <laughs> you know, and, and I had no respect of person, meaning that I respected everyone the same. And a lot of my athletes would express to me, hey, you know, all I have going for me is sports. You know, all I can do is this and all I can do is that. And I always saw it as my duty to teach them that they have more than that, that they have the abilities to uh, really excel academically as well, um, if they really stuck to it, and not just for the purpose of sports, but also for their own personal growth. Um, and so that further motivated me to feel like I had even more of a purpose there, and that kept me motivated. Mm. Um, and I had accountability partners, too, and I think, um, you know, a lot of them were very raw and real with me. Mm -hmm. um, and when I wanted to give up or when things started to get harder, they would remind me of my purpose, my goals, and the things that I'd said that I wanted. Um, and they would challenge that and make me realize, you know, where I was and why I was there. And that always helped to stay focused. Mm -hmm. Okay, so you had a community. It sounds like you didn't have a choice as to whether or not to finish what you started, too. <laughs> yes. Okay, I'm seeing how that works. But, <laughs> but I guess as a fellow uh, psychology professor, I'm just like, I'm not sure if you've discovered extra hours in the week um, that the rest of us don't know about. But um, isn't it a struggle to have this dynamic career? Like I'm imagining that you're required to do a lot in terms of research, um, teach, supervise, be on committees, advise, see clients, coach. Um, okay, so yeah, how are you doing all of this? <laughs> I would say I don't do it alone. You know, I I try to make sure that I find like-minded people to work with and people who, um, too, are on the same road to development and growth. So, for instance, now um, I'm working with a lot of graduate students that help me with a lot of my uh, purpose and research, but also fulfill their own. You know, mm -hmm. so I try to make sure that I not only work with people for my own personal gain, but ensure that they feel just equally invested, which helps move projects along a lot quicker. Um, and also helps everyone feel like a part of the team, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as everything else, I also pair with faculty as well. So I'm working with uh, our neuropsychologist in our department, Dr. Luis Aguiara Pere, um, and he really works with me on, he's really great at research. He teaches all of our research uh, statistics courses, and he and I really tag team on um, things as well. And right now we're currently running a few projects. So those will, you know, kick up the, hopefully the publications as well. So in <laughs> all and in total, I try to make sure that I work with people that have similar goals um, that might have some 
similar questions and ideas as I do um, and want to work in the same realm. And that brings in the life of the beautiful brown baby doll piece as well. I try to make sure that I'm not separating what I do as a professor and psychologist from what I do online, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think my viewers respect me as a psychologist who also is a professor. And so they expect that whatever I bring to them is going to teach them something and possibly add to their core sense of self. And so when I've married the two, that's really helped me to not see the two as separate things and and separate the two in terms of my daily life. I try to wake up and make sure that I'm feeling both Mm -hmm. and I'm able to operate from both Mm -hmm. instead of trying to categorize and, and put everything into a specific square or box. Mm. So I think that's what helps. And I think having the help and the people who are willing to help push that agenda and their own has been quite uh, important in my career. Mm. Okay. And, and just out of curiosity, what time do you wake up? <laughs> just to get us <laughs> <laughs> summer two right now Mm -hmm. we're just uh we have students in the clinic that are finishing up cases so i'm really just supervising this semester which is a a little bit of an easier quest because last semester i taught Mm -hmm. um well, I still woke up this morning at 6.30 a.m. Me and my mother went to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, I came back, immediately got myself together, and I started filming for uh, the beautiful brown baby doll projects that I have. Mm-hmm. So I woke up at 6.30 in the morning on the day that I really could have slept in. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so I think uh, for me, the momentum is always to try and make every day count. Now, do I take days where I just, you know, chill out? Yes. Uh, but I try to make the most of days that, you know, I am able to. So today, even though it seemed like a good downtime day, it's also a good up-tempo day to get some things accomplished. So I usually wake up about anywhere between 5 and at the latest 7.30. Okay, the latest 7.30. All right, I got to put that on my agenda. That's when stuff happens. Yeah, and just even thinking about you doing um, this filming work and different projects for social media, I know that during our training, because I think we're peers in terms of school, um, people never talked about social media because it didn't really exist at that level back when we were undergrad or in grad school. Um, But even now, there are... I would say limited conversations about the role of psychologists on social media. So in terms of your work, what do you think are some of the benefits and even some of the challenges that you faced as being a social media influencer and a psychologist? And funny you ask that because that's actually a paper I'm working on right now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and it's about the role of the five-dimensional academician, a person who not only um, is an academician but also has a professional uh, a professional role as, all, as well, like for us licensed psychologists. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's um, – I would say that, first off, I think you touched on something very sensitive to most. It's because we've never really been taught how to navigate this space, mm-hmm. um, and we don't know how much of ourselves to give, that it makes it a little bit harder as a psychologist 
because we know that uh, we often operate from the ideals of creating a client and um, a client and a, a provider uh, perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, you know, I started this back in graduate school. And um, what I always wanted to do was that there's still a sense of mystery around everything. You know, not <laughs> they don't know everything about my life. However, <laughs> I do try to sit, create a sense of community and that I share experiences that are factual uh, while also, in, you know, going deeper with research that can help them to understand the research side of life as well. Um, And I also try to present things that are everyday life perspectives um, and things that most can relate to as well in terms of lifestyle. So I feel like I get to get back to that uh, question to get back to it at a, a point. I feel like we don't talk about it because it is an uncomfortable subject because we don't know how much of ourselves to give. Mm-hmm. And not only that, how to balance that. And then we're balancing, you know, oh, we don't want to say the wrong thing because they can follow us forever, especially on social media. In the past, you can say whatever you want to and it would never necessarily be recorded. <laughs> it wouldn't necessarily be taped or filmed. And it wouldn't necessarily be, you know, up without your knowledge or a picture posted without your knowledge. Um, and I think now what it has created in me is a ethical psychologist, right? So mm-hmm. I'm not a perfect person, but I'm definitely an ethical psychologist. <laughs> and so when people do write me and they're asking for tips and advice, you know, I have to learn to uh, teeter on the line of should I be finding a person to, you know, telling them that they should be going to an actual provider as opposed to seeking general everyday advice or, you know, is this somebody just, just asking about general everyday, you know, life troubles, you know? Um, and so I think the great thing about that position and perspective is a lot of my followers have been able to find great psychologists, therapists, counselors, because I've been able to say to them, hey, you know, if you're experiencing A, B, and C, you probably should be seeing someone. Mm-hmm. And in the past, we didn't have that kind of reach. We didn't have those kind of people that felt okay reaching out to someone they could relate to. Um, and so now I feel much better about this space and less afraid because I know that I've kind of trained myself on what not to give, but what is okay to give. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and also how to make sure that others feel supported if they are having difficulties and that they're not just feeling like a number out there listening to any old advice. Mm-hmm. They're actually listening to someone who uh, is, is trained. And, and I think, I would hope to think, trained well <laughs> in being able to let them know that, hey, you should probably seek additional treatment for what you're going through. Mm. Yeah, this is definitely a new frontier. I want to read this book or this chapter or this article that's coming out in terms of really creating a protocol for a psychologist that do utilize social media, whether how private things should be, should family information be on there, just even facts that I have to navigate um, on a daily basis, knowing that um, I have an open account that people can follow me and then reach out about therapy and kind of knowing things I hadn't shared with them face to face that they can find online. Um, But it sounds like you're really creating, like you were saying, communities of wellness. Um, And so this kind of makes me think about your specific role and niche. Um, 
in social media. I definitely believe you are one of the queens of self-care um, on social media. And so um, you've really done a thorough job of documenting your weight loss and even how you maintain your wellness and fitness on social media. So what right now does your self-care routine look like? And um, I know you said you woke up early and worked out with your mom, but I'm just curious about your your self-care as a psychologist and as a social media influencer. And even what media do you consume um, that impacts your commitment to your health? I would say... Um... What is my self-care routine? That's a good question. You, you right? know you got a video on that. <laughs> yes, I do. I do. But you know what? I think I, I think I want to take it away from the stereotypical version of self-care and think of it in terms of what my work is. Uh, I also think of my work as self-care, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it fulfills me. It fulfills my soul. It's what I think I'm... I'm, I'm good at and I'm good at helping others see their potential so I think I see that as a part of my daily self-care is making sure I'm always doing things that quote-unquote matter to me um and so with that of course that becomes a what can I seek out that helps me to feel better that might help others feel better Mm. um and so that starts with starting a day with a a workout that's the first thing I do almost every day there's very few days where that's not the first thing I do um so I do that and I make sure I attend to body and attend to self after that um you know I think my workout time is my mind time it's where I'm able to drop my brain (laughs) literally Mm. and also uh close out the world because that's the time that I really don't allow to be um interrupted Mm-hmm. Um, and so that gives me time to think about other things or to think of nothing. And I give myself permission to do that. And that's one of the only times during the day I have that chance. And then I'm able to come home and really take care of my, my body care and make sure that I'm up to par and I'm looking my best because <laughs> believe it or not, as you know, as a psychologist, um, looking and feeling your best actually helps your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, become an even better day even if it's not a great day you're so much better about yourself and so I like to tend to that first and feel good about what I look like actually look at the clothes that I'm going to wear maybe think about the makeup I'm going to put on whatever it is that's going to inc- increase the chances of me having a better day mm-hmm. and then from there I like to go look at the things that I need to go do that I've written out that need to be completed and I move on from my day from there um so a day in self-care for me is making sure that I care for myself first so I can be in better care for others um, and, and help them to approach their days best. And I think sometimes as mental health professionals specifically, we get lost in what other people need mm. and forget ourselves. <laughs> and that leads to burnout. And you can't be good to anybody if you haven't been good to yourself. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes being good to yourself can even just take you an extra 10 minutes. And I know people say, I don't have the time. Well, then I always say to them, which makes them laugh, that you have time to be stressed out and burnt out. That's it. (laughs) You know, there's no, 
there, there's no other option. You're just yeah. going to be stressed out and burnt out. Or you can take these five or ten minutes and maybe even walk on the treadmill for a little while. Or do your makeup. Or make sure you take a little bit longer of a shower so you can feel a little bit more rested or at ease. You know, whatever it is. And, and so, for me, self-care has become what I need at that moment and at that time that's going to help me feel better so that I can be better to others. Mm, I like that. I like how intentional you are with your time in terms of it sounds like even doing makeup or hair or picking out your outfit is a form of mindfulness and being so intentional and curating the life that you want um, especially through the aesthetics um yeah I'm just even wondering during your day are you on social media are you checking Instagram are you looking at YouTube videos too as part of your self-care or is that is that considered work now that's a good question because you did ask me what media do I consume. I um, <laughs> I as funny as it sounds, I'm not one that's always on social media, and if I am, uh, if I am on social media, then it's mainly just the same kind of specialized things that I like to look at. So I like to look at funny things, things that are uplifting. And I also love to look at things that really add to me understanding my black community even more. Um, I, I love that because sometimes in the worlds we are in as professors, psychologists, you don't have a great, um, a great sense of that all the time, depending on where you work. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm often the black one. <laughs> <laughs> and, and though I have my friends and though I have my family, I have a multicultural and diverse family um, friends. But sometimes it's good to kind of take in media that looks like you. And so I try to make sure I do that so that I'm aware of some of the ideals and the thoughts that are out there and some of the comments and some of the questions and also some of the topics that are a little bit harsher um, in our community. And that I think I also think that helps me with diverse clientele that comes into our clinic mm. um, because they are consuming those things and usually those types of media or you know media out there that gives me that diverse perspective and keeps me immersed in diversity uh, it makes me aware of what my clients are consuming and it helps me to be better uh, in that way and then I also like to like I said take in funny things um, funny things motivational things uh, but for the most part I'm not on the internet as much as most would think <laughs> I usually get on know what I I need to post and what I need to do and then I watch kind of some specialized programming or post if I need to mm -hmm. okay okay I see the strategy in that <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah because the internet can burn you out too yeah yes yeah, so, Dr. Nina, I've seen um, some of your hair tutorials on YouTube so I know that you know how to serve various looks um, can you tell me a little bit about your hair journey and how it reflects various experiences you faced as a black woman. Okay. Um, I will say as a black woman, we know that hair can be a huge, oh, a huge thing <laughs> in all of our lives. My goodness. Hair for me, since I've grown up, took on a special form for me because 
I was a child who was creative and I always wanted to do my own hair, like since I was a little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, and so going through the journey of, you know, as a lot of little black girls have, trying to change their hair into something it's not necessarily. Um, getting relaxers, doing all of that. Um, I didn't get a relaxer until I was 12 years old, Mm -hmm. but I cut it off less than 10 years later. So I cut my relaxed hair off when I was about 21. Um, So I didn't have a relaxer fully 10 years. And even then, um, I didn't get relaxers uh, consistently throughout my relaxed journey. So when I cut my hair off, it was an interesting (laughs) situation of seeing myself for who I was. Mm. Um, So my hair represented something more than what I thought it was, right? Um, At first, I thought it was something that, you know, you manipulate, it helps you look good and all of that. But what I learned was it was a sign of my strength. It was a sign of my self-expression. It was a sign of my weakness sometimes. Um, And it also gave me a new sense of, uh, self-love and also um, self-confident mm. you know it's, it's, it's a really interesting thing the first time I wore my afro out and women were just enamored you know I didn't know what what the response or reaction would be and I went out of the house and I'm thinking oh my god like that was the most I feel like the most naked naked point in my life Mm. um and I had all my clothes on but my hair was out (laughs) and I think what I remembered was making other women feel that they too could do that you know I had women that would say things like wow you got a lot of hair (laughs) oh my goodness almost as if you know because in our community sometimes and not just because of us others have even said like well, I didn't know you guys could grow that much hair. And I'm like, you know, yeah, we can. We grow lots of hair. Uh, mm. <laughs> in fact, we're probably some of the hairiest people. Um, <laughs> and have the most strong hair. Um, so I think for me, it even helped me to learn where my confidence lied. And, and it helped me to realize that it wasn't the hair it was me. Mm. Um, and I had to be okay with what me represented. And it helped others feel okay with their own self-expression. I didn't want people to think that their hair type had to be like my own. Because mm. I, I know hair type has been something in our community that has been, oh my goodness. Yeah. It has been something that can be detrimental almost. And so on my channel, what you'll find is I really don't focus so much on what my hair type is. Um, I'll talk about it in general, but I've even had people say, well, your hair does stuff that other people doesn't. And <laughs> it's actually curly. It's not really this. It's that. And, you know, and, and for me, it's like, no, you know, my hair is what it is. It comes with its ups and it comes with its downs. And I'm just rolling with it just like you can as well. And that's what I like to focus on is you don't have to be me or have my hair in order to be successful at this thing. You have to start to learn what's best for you. And that's what's going to carry you through your natural journey. But you're going to also learn a lot about yourself through this journey. So expect that you will be naked. <laughs> and you will not like it at first. And you, it might not always come with compliments. But what I learned is nobody knew what my hair was supposed to do. Not even me. Mm. And it wasn't until I learned that and accepted that. 
that I was like, wow, this is so cool. I can wear my hair anywhere. People think it's cute because they don't know what it's supposed to be doing. So, you know, it was those types of moments, those teaching moments that also stand into the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, this is this is powerful work, this relationship between our hair and our mental health and our identity. Um, I'm constantly introducing your article in the Journal of Black Studies to my students about self-efficacy and natural hair for black women. So in your research, where do you think the natural hair movement on social media is going? And where do you feel like it might actually fall short related to wellness for black women? Oh, where do I feel like it's going? That's a great question. I feel like um, in terms of social media with the natural hair movement, I feel like more people are focused more on maintaining the health of their mane, no matter what kind of hair they have. Okay, and I'm starting to see that more and I'm starting to see other people start to branch out into other parts of their health. Right. Mm -hmm. Because my natural hair journey also taught me that I couldn't say I wasn't going to, uh, you know, I started losing weight before I started the natural hair journey, really. But I also knew that one couldn't work without the other. I couldn't put caustic chemicals on my hair once to call myself healthy. Mm. And then or stop putting caustic chemicals in my hair and still put junk in my body. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to learn that one complemented the other. And if I wanted one to do well, the other had to really do well. So both became a part of me. So overall health became the goal. And I'm starting to see that more people on the internet, I felt like I was before my time with that topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think now more people are starting to catch on to, I need to make this a healthy lifestyle. Like I can't just have a bomb and amazing twist out. <laughs> I also need to make sure the insides of my body are not twisted out. So <laughs> I think a lot of people are realizing like I have to take care of the insides of my body as well if I want uh, my hair to grow, which is also going to be a reflection of my health. Um, and so I think a lot of people are starting to, to, instead of categorizing the health of their life, like their hair and their skin and their body and their, you know, fitness, they're learning that they all kind of interplay. Mm-hmm. Um, you really can't have one without the other. If one is suffering, the rest will have to make up for that suffering and they won't be flourishing at the rate that they should. So I think uh, I think that's where I, I'm seeing it headed. Where do I think it falls short? is I think that there's a lot of fighting and fussing uh, about who fits a certain look and a texture and a type and a this and a that. And, um, and I think specifically black women need to be okay with claiming their black women hair. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and being okay with saying this is black hair and that is not black hair. And what I'm saying is I'm not counting people out, but I think a lot of times we get so caught up in fighting amongst each other when it's apples against oranges. Mm. And that's not 
what it was started for. This movement was so much more than that. It was supposed to be a way to join people together and teach them ways to take care of their hair. I started out on the folky days. I don't know if you all know what folky is, F-O-T-K-I. No. People shared (laughs) pictures of their hair. And I used to be one of those people that shared pictures of my hair before YouTube was even a thing. Um, and one of the things was just discussing products that might work or finding women on there with similar hair types that you could relate to mm. um, and not start to self-loathe if you didn't have a certain hair type. Yeah. You know, you started to say, oh, this is my hair type. I can get the best for my hair type and this is what it might look like. And you were realistic about it. I think what social media has done to some people is almost I hate to use the word sexualized but almost almost has made the hair movement like this you know coveted thing like if you don't have a certain texture if you don't have a certain curl pattern if you don't have certain things then you know it's not really that great um or your hair isn't really that great which makes people natively view themselves yeah and that's not what the was for and I think that's where it's falling short but I think some people are becoming more aware of even that and trying to make a change with that as well Mm, yeah yeah I'm just even thinking about some of my work um for psychotherapy it's the idea of using hair as an entry point into mental health services and so a big part that I couldn't ignore was social media because that's how a lot of natural women Um, engage with their hair in terms of um, really viewing the videos, commenting on posts, you know, sharing their hair updates. I'm wondering, though, based on your experience of interacting with other um, beauty influencers, I see that show wasn't in your bio. That I I did watch that reality show. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm just even thinking, do you think that um, social media has the capacity to unite and heal the masses of our community? I think it does. I think it has that capacity. I think there's enough reach. I think there's enough people. I think there's enough interest. I just think, too, that we should use what's happening on social media to push us to have the hard conversations that need to be had in person. Um, and so I think a, a, a big thing for me is, yes, it could. It could definitely help us to make vast changes and, and big things could happen. But I think we also have to be willing to take it off screen and talk in person mm. about the things that can be done in our various and diverse communities in order to help support that topic. Yeah, and just even based on your experiences and trainings, what do you feel like would need to be on this agenda in terms of having better self-care for Black women? I would say. <laughs> I'm asking hard questions now. I'm getting deeper. Oh, you know, no, you can't. You, either, this is great. This is great. <laughs> about uh, stop being texture discriminant mm. um, and things of that sort because it represents so much more as you brought up. Um, it's another way for us to discriminate against one another. Yeah. And the goal is to unite, right? Um, so I think when I say we need to be 
okay with claiming what we have and what we don't and being okay in that space, it starts with that self-acceptance, which allows us to accept other people. Mm-hmm. And I think mm-hmm. if we do that and are realistic in what we're doing and how we're achieving that, that will help all of us think more freely um, and be more transparent in the discussions and also move things along. Uh, because I think a lot of times these things happen without us knowing. We start to discriminate against one another, and then we want to real we we don't realize why we're upset with one another, or mm-hmm. why we're counting each other out, or why one comes out higher than the other. Um, and it's because we set up systems that way because we discriminate against one one another. Um, and so I think once we start attacking or tackling that, um, it makes it easier for self-acceptance and self-love to happen so that we're able to accept others. I say, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking about the the new acts and laws that have come out in New York City and California for the Crown Act that are really putting into place um, laws to protect natural hair. And it's Mm -hmm. interesting because I actually was doing a summer research institute and collected stories, hundreds of stories from black women about their hair. And we were specifically looking for hair bias or discrimination or harassment related to hair. And unfortunately, most of the perpetrators are other black women. Um, Uh in terms of criticizing and mistreating, not getting a job, saying it needs to change. And so it sounds like you're really talking about um, disrupting um, this, you know, white beauty ideal that even creates a caste system um, that's maintained and perpetuated by the black community or black communities. So it sounds like that this is a multi-pronged approach in terms of having social media really have content that affirms and empowers people through their hair and their blackness, but also um, that provides information about how to take care of themselves and their hair and encouraging self-love and all that. This feels like a therapy session. Did we just have a therapy session? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. Yeah, because this is really making me think about what psychological shifts need to take place that can be represented in the social media world, you know, to the masses um, and to really be sisterhood supported wellness and services in that way, that way. Yeah. Okay. So we have an article that we're clearly writing right now as we have this podcast, but (laughs) in terms of, yeah, this this was wonderful. Um, I'm so appreciative of you talking with me today. And I know you have a lot of projects going on. So can you give us a little taste or flavor in terms of what projects that you want us to stay up to date on or um, things that are really important for you um, that we should know about? Yes, well, um, and I say that just excitedly because (laughs) in mid-September, the plan is to release a Dr. Nina Mentorship Membership Academy. What? Um, And so the the Mentorship Membership Academy will be dedicated to being a hodgepodge corner, if you will, of daily things that can be utilized uh, in, in 
mentorship from me. It's, it's hard. I mean, with having almost a million on YouTube alone to be able to be a mentor to everyone. So the membership will be a monthly membership where people can come and go as they please, um, but sign up to have access to a lot of the things that I teach at a deeper level. So there will be things about fitness, about health, about hair, about career, um, about things as small as how to write a curriculum vita, how to prepare Ooh. a resume, um, how to make sure that you're going after the job you would like and how to tackle those things, how to prepare for your uh, for your upcoming interviews or things of that sort. It will be full of uh, monthly webinars, live webinars where there will be Q&As that will be done conference style online. Uh, there will also be uh, lots of other resources. Last year I actually piloted a course quietly uh, with students from everywhere from the Caribbean to uh, all the way up to Dubai. Wow. Um, and so I did that quietly and the class, it was a small class but it went over very well. Great reviews. Um, and so what we're going to do is infuse that even so it's going to include courses that I've created as well for those who would like to take through uh, go through self-paced courses that are going to help to improve their lives so one of those courses is the sky's not your limit 10 ways to solidly transform your life now um, and other things that will also bring value of course as the membership grows more um, more value will come and more things will be in Fused, um, but that is looking to release mid-September. So I'm excited about that. Um, and we're also looking to start to create um, uh, in-person experiences that we're calling the Dr. Nina Experience. Mm. Um, <laughs> as, as some know, I have uh, a podcast now, which is called Now That's Life with Dr. Nina, which we will have to have you on. Ooh, yes, um, I'll be yes. Now That's Life with Dr. Nina. And now has six episodes and is doing very very well thousands of plays in over i want to say 70 countries now um, so what i plan to do with that is to bring that experience live and host um small conference style things in different cities um at least four times a year so we're trying to set up for that as well so that's something to look forward to as well as new content weekly on youtube uh i try to post on either thursdays or sundays or both depending and on how great the week is going uh, <laughs> so you can find me there and also over on instagram at beautiful brown baby doll and i have a vlog channel as well beautiful brown baby doll tv over on youtube so um i'm always reachable in that capacity uh and we also have the free eight-day supernatural video program, mm. which is free at drninaellisharvey.com. You sign up, and over the course of eight days, a video is released to you uh, on a free program. And it's, like I said, absolutely free, and that'll get you access to my email newsletter, which has tips and, and tutorials and other things that are exclusive to those on the email list. So definitely join that over on Dr. Nina Ellis com, um, and that gives you access to that free program as well. Okay, Th this is amazing. Um, Blacknificent, Blacktastic, 
exceptional work that you're doing there really must be multiple of you i i know there's not but i think i just need to sign up on this like mentorship subscription program just so i could get my life together so this was just so wonderful this this is just amazing work that you're doing and i'm so proud um of you as a fellow black psychologist and psychologists in general to really take what you know, what happens one-on-one in a therapy office and broadcast it to millions of people to see that you can be healthy and um, happy. Um, So thank you so much for being on this podcast. Um, I don't have thousands of listeners yet, but one day (laughs) day I'll have this. Yes, yes. So as always, you can follow the latest psychotherapy information through our website, psychotherapy.org and Instagram handle at psychotherapy. And of course, if you love this podcast or even liked it, please consider sharing. Um, In closing, let's remember that a path to healthy hair is having strong roots. I love that.